Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. So Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. How did you, I am interested to know how you feel having shared your story last time. Was that cathartic for you? It's, it was good. I, you know, I've shared, I've shared a little bit about what had happened in a blog post. And so sharing that story is not new to me. You know, I think this is a new kind of avenue for me to share it, but I just really want you know, if it means putting myself out there, what is most important to me is that other women hear it to know to normalize it for themselves. Mm-hmm. So they so that they could be better in the situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to we're going to talk to another young survivor today about her own experience with emotional fallout. And I just I'm excited about it because to your point, I want women to know that this is an anticipated part of the treatment process. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen for everyone. So let's be clear that this is not something that happens for everyone, but it happens for a lot of women. And it's often at an unexpected moment. Mm-hmm. And it's after you think like you've done this amazing thing and you have this new lease on life. And so it can often feel like a major slap in the face mm-hmm. when if nobody's prepared you for it. Yeah, I, I think you put it so, so well whenever I joined on as a mentor and you called it the when the wheels fall off moment. I have those exact feelings. And I remember telling people, I don't feel like myself. Mm-hmm. Something is something major in me has shifted and I cannot figure it out. I cannot go back to being the Sarah that I was before. And I don't know who I am and I don't feel like myself. And it is just, you know, like it's I very sh- like I shared last time, it is it's very confusing and it's hard to navigate if you don't have somebody there to at least let you know what is What's what's up? All right. So Sarah and I have talked about how we struggled emotionally after treatment. Um, and now we're going to talk to another young survivor named Jamie about her own experience. Um, so first, she'll share a little bit about herself, what life was like before her cancer diagnosis, how her and her family reacted to the news. Then we'll talk about what treatment was like for her. Well, not we. She will talk about what treatment was like for her and how she knew something was wrong. Her lowest point And then we'll finish with what she wants other women to know before they have their treatment. Before we get into that with Jamie, though, let's hear from our first sponsor. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia, and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. Well, hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for um, being with us today. I'm excited to talk. 
Hi, girls. How's it going? It's going pretty good. So for everybody that's listening, Jamie and I met through a mutual acquaintance, Christy, who's also a young survivor. Yeah, we've been kind of friendly ever since then. So we've just been going back and forth as young survivors are prone to do once we meet each other. And I'm super excited that you're you're here to share your story. Sarah and I, in the previous episodes, were talking about kind of our own emotional struggles after treatment ended and how we weren't really prepared for that at all. And we're really excited to kind of talk to you about your own experience. But before we do that, like, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your your family and your kids and, and a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. I'm 37. I got diagnosed when I was 36. So it was last year in August of 2019. I have three kids. I have a daughter that's almost 10, two boys, a seven-year-old and almost five-year-old. And I've been married for about 13 years together for about 20 years with my husband. Tell our listeners a little bit about what your life was like before diagnosis. So I was still a stay-at-home mom, just going about life as, you know, everybody that age group, thinking that nothing could ever happen to you that would be earth-shattering. Yeah, I uh, was just staying home with the kids. Did you feel a lump? How did you know something was up? Yeah, I did. So I was in the shower, and I noticed that my nipple was, like, kind of off-center with the water. And uh, I kind of started feeling around and felt a lump and I thought that was kind of odd. It didn't really hurt too much. It was just kind of there. And then I got out of the shower and started looking at my breasts like all over. I have polycystic breasts or whatever. So like Mm -hmm. I feel lumps everywhere. So I never know what I'm looking for. But Mm -hmm. I kind of like lifted up my right arm and I saw a dimple in the side of the breast. And I thought, well, that's odd. What is that? And so I started Googling, you know, dimple in the breast. And they said that was like the first sign of breast cancer. And I was like, oh, no. And I had Mm -hmm. just been to the doctor like two months before that to just get a checkup. And she said that my breasts looked fine and there was no issues. So I felt really dumb calling the Mm -hmm. doctor and being like, hey, I need you to look at my breasts you know, even though she had saw me two months ago. So well, good for you, though. Like, let's just say right now, good for you that you took the time to call her. Because if you would have let that deter you, like, oh, I was just there, it was fine. I'm sure it's nothing. You know, that could have been a totally different story. So right. You know, Sarah and I talk about quite a bit about listening to your body Mm -hmm. and calling your provider as soon as you suspect something. And some people are scared to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It only been like 10 days. I like waited 10 days. I talked to my husband about it and he's like, I don't know. Like I have autoimmune issues too. So it could have been like anything. Right. My husband's always like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Let's just blame it on autoimmune. Right. And so. So I went in and sure enough, like they got me in for like an ultrasound, like two days later. Had you ever had a mammogram or an ultrasound to this point? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. Nope. No mammogram, no ultrasound, no nothing. Because I'm not even 40 years old yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't run in my family. So no one's ever had breast cancer. And see, I think most people think there's a genetic component, but mm-hmm. my understanding is that most breast cancers don't have a genetic component. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that they they don't have younger women get baselines earlier, but yeah. I wish that they had, yeah. And I had been taking an estrogen pill too because I was having irregular periods. So I don't know if the estrogen pill that I took for nine months like 
sped up the process of the cancer, mm. I guess we'll never know. Right. The question that we all ask ourselves. Yeah, we all ask ourselves <laughs> that, right? Like, did birth control contribute to this? Did my deodorant mm. contribute to this? Like, everybody's always searching for yeah. what did I do or what would, you know. So yeah. that's kind of pretty standard. So you so you kind of knew that maybe something was wrong and then you have the procedures and then do you remember what it was like when you got did you get the call or did they bring you in and tell you in person no oh that was another like fiasco too like I waited like forever in the office like they were like okay we did your mammogram you know just wait a little bit we're going to talk to the radiologist they finally called me and they did the ultrasound and they like they kept moving like around and they like looked in my axillary lymph nodes, which I had never even heard of that word. I mean, it's silly that you don't know your own body, but I had never really heard of that. I'm like, what is she looking for? Like what, what's there, you know? And they said, well, we want to talk to the radiologist and we'll, you know, we'll let you sit here. And she had been measuring stuff. Like, you know, they get the little measuring thing out Mm -hmm. and they like look under there and they're measuring. And I'm like, ah, what is this? Like, this doesn't feel right. And so they came back and they were like, yeah, we think you have lymph nodes that are swollen too. You know, I think they had said, they didn't say tumor. They said, what did they say? I can't remember now, but basically that I definitely had some in my breast area. And I was like, is it cancer? And they're like, well, we're not for sure. We need you to do an, you know, a biopsy. And they didn't even give me my like BIRAD score yet. I said, can I have a printout so I can show my husband? They're like, no. Hmm. <laughs> they're like, a lady's going to call you, you know, in a couple of days to set up and, you know, a biopsy. Did you uh, have to wait that. a couple of days? Cause I, I had that same thing. They were like, call back and get a biopsy. Well, at that time, like you said, you kind of know that this isn't good. And that they're suspecting cancer. And for me, I was like, I'm not waiting a couple days. Like, is the radiologist here? Like, let's get this thing done today. Did you wait a couple days? Yeah. Like, so I had to go downstairs and schedule an appointment. The lady's like, well, I can't get you in for like a week. Oh, Uh, that is brutal. It was horrible. And so like, I get a call though, like that night that said like, you can, we got you in for like, two days from now. And I was like, Oh, that's better. Like two days is still Mm. a long time to wait, but I can do this. Two days is torture when you think you might have cancer. I mean, it was, that is just like brutal. Yeah. And I, it it was, it was awful. Like I went in for that. So did they call you with the results or what did they, or no, you went in for the biopsy and then I went in for the biopsy and the lady there, the radiologist doctor, she was like, I'm almost positive that the side tumor is cancer. She mm-hmm. said, I'm not sure about the lymph nodes or the one by your nipple, but the one on the side, I'm almost 99% sure it's cancer. And I was like, really? Like, you got to be kidding me. It's it's a shocking mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, it was. Did, did you end up telling your, your family right away? I'm trying to think like, I don't I definitely know that we told our kids, like we sat our oh. kids down. How did your husband really quick? Really, how did your husband respond when you told him? I think he was in shock too. Yeah. I think we were all like both in shock, like backing up the story a little bit. So like we had the biopsy done, they were almost 99% sure the one was cancer. I went home and I like Googled like everything. Cause Ooh. you know, Dr. Google, <laughs> my friend, no <laughs> awful. Right. I had found something that kind of coincided with my autoimmune disease. Like, Oh, 
this could be related to my autoimmune disease. This may not be cancer. And so I kind of had that in the back of my head. But once I got the call, like I was, Mm -hmm. I think I was like immediately like distraught. Like I like started bawling. I called my mom. I think it was just like the next day I called my mom. I woke up trying to be like a normal mom. Like my son wanted me to like read a book to him, like our favorite book. And I like started bawling in the middle of the, Mm -hmm. of the, um, the story. Ooh, it makes me a little bit emotional to talk about it even now. I know it's Um, hard. And I like, I called my mom and I was like, I can't do this. Like you have to come pick up the kids. Like I can't, I can't do this. You know, like it was rough. It's hard to act normal and do your mom's duties Mm -hmm. when you just found out that you have a life threatening illness. Like I, I, that was the hardest part for me. I, I couldn't, it was not easy for me to be around my children. I don't know. I don't know why. And it's interesting because I had found that work was my favorite place to be because I completely disconnected from what was going on and what was going on at home and what was going on with my own health because I could just pour into my work. But there's something about being around your kids and your family that just comes with so much more emotion. Mm -hmm. Like you think about the future and you're thinking about, you know, what's that going to be like? And and that all comes into it. It makes it so much harder to care for your kids. And you're trying to protect your children. Like ultimately, like you're, of course, you're devastated for yourself. Mm-hmm. But then you're thinking about them and like the impact mm-hmm. on them and how are you going to, you know, I mean, I'm sure this was all going through your brain too, Jamie. Right. Yeah. I'm really interested to kind of talk about what your prognosis was and your treatment plan. But um, before we do that, do you want to do, do you want to lighten it up a little bit with some boobs in the news? Have you, have you heard our segment boobs in the news, Jamie? Yes. I love it. <laughs> okay. It me up every time. So boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news, boobs in the news, boobs in the news. Okay, you guys ready for this? These are these are yeah. funny. These are funny parenting tweets. Okay, so this man says, "My wife wanted to climb the tree in our front yard to hang Christmas lights, but my toddler cried and begged her not to, so she wouldn't get hurt. Aww. It was such a warm, caring moment that showed how much she loves her mom. Moments later, she asked if I would climb the tree. <laughs> the dad, <laughs> the, dad. That's great. the toddler doesn't want mom to do it, but she's like, "Hey, dad, can you do it?" <laughs> Right. <laughs> that was throwing that under the I think bus that's funny. right away. Um, my daughter asked me what it's like to be a parent, so I followed her around asking why over and over until she started crying. <laughs> that's so true. That's so true. <gasps> oh, man. Uh, me. This day is stressing me out. I need a drink. My three-year-old, here you go, Dad, hands me his milk. I say, got anything stronger? And the three-year-old yells, yep. Mom, can you get Dad a chocolate milk? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one's kind of funny, and then we'll end on this one. So this is a dad, too, that says, I have a wife and two daughters. They can never find a hair tie, and I can never stop finding them. <laughs> I feel like that's so that's true. Like the, the bobby pins. Yep. Whenever you need one, you can never find right. one. But Right. Yeah. My husband's always doing that. He's like, why is this here? And I'm like, I can't find any hair ties for the girl's hair. That's so true. <laughs> Wait, there's 10 in my pocket. I don't know if those there's yep. a boob in that story. Those are just no. more funny tweets, but yeah. I like those, especially since that's we're talking right. about kids today. Right. <laughs> All right. That's boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right. We are back. Jamie, we I want to kind of go into you. You told us a little bit about when they called you and let you know your diagnosis. But tell us a little bit about what your prognosis and the treatment was like for you. Yeah, so mine was stage three bordering for breast cancer. It was in my lymph nodes, too. I had to do 
radiation and chemotherapy. I first did chemotherapy, adromycin and cytoxin. I had three rounds of that, but unfortunately I kept getting like more tumors growing while doing chemo. So they realized that that, that medicine wasn't working. And is and that so, that's the medicine that, that patients have kind of termed the red devil, right? The red devil. And yep. I'll tell you, I, I had that medicine too. And I don't know about you, but that is no walk in the park. Mm-hmm. No, I was nauseous like a lot. They had me on two different types of steroids. I think I was on, now I'm drawing a blank on the names of those steroids, but they did help a little bit. I actually had an appetite with breast cancer. I know some people throw up and have all of that. Luckily, like I just had the nausea, you know, for the few days of doing the chemo. The steroids made me crave carbs like a crazy person. See, I was I wasn't hungry the whole oh, treatment process. Man. I know some women like they, they want to eat, 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 and Pizza. I was like, I I think it was stress related. I just didn't have an appetite. Mm. So you're saying I that Chinese? Oh, it's like pregnancy. Everybody's got their their, their chemo their right. chemo cravings, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. That was my big one. It was you know the fried rice mm. and you know the just chicken fried rice. That's all I ate mm. like the whole time I was on chemo. Which is yeah. so funny because they're always trying to say, you know, nutrition, nutrition. But when you're in that, you just want to eat what you want to eat. Yeah. So you were saying that you were on the adrocin- um Hold on, I'm going to butcher it. The AC is what I call it because I... Adromycin. Adromycin. And it wasn't working. So the tumors were continuing to grow. So they stopped that sh- short, right? And then what were they doing? Yep. Then they tried Taxol and they said, we're only going to give you three weeks on Taxol. If it doesn't work, we're taking you into surgery immediately. Cause I just kept having tumors grow like more tumors, like every month there'd be like a new tumor. Yeah. I think like the third Taxol worked, they started seeing some shrinkage. So that was good. But then like, after like the fifth one, they're like, we're not seeing anything, you know, like it's, it's the same. It's not getting any bigger. It's not getting smaller. But then I had like another tumor grow. It's like, mm. it's like had the worst luck, like every time. And that's really hard. Yeah. Like we've talked about that when you go and every time you talk to them, it's, it seems like it's bad news. Yeah. I mean, I, I have yet to talk to a patient where they go in for a visit and they got really good news. You know yeah, what that, I mean? That has yeah. to feel pretty deflating, especially when you suffer through chemo and then to be like, what was this for then? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie, I want to hear about how, you know, this last year has been for you. But before we do that, I want to go to we're going to go to our second sponsor for the episode. And then we'll come back and and we'll talk about kind of how you knew something was wrong after after all your treatment had commenced. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next-day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule ma'am to make your appointment now. All right, so we are back. Jamie, you've obviously been through a lot with your treatment, and we've talked a little bit about some of the emotional things that happened during the course of treatment. I want to talk about, you know, when you completed treatment and how how life was afterward and then when you kind of knew something wasn't right. Yeah, so I think that gets me a little bit emotional because I think I was so like strong during the treatment plan, but then afterwards, I think it finally like hit me like the grieving part because I've only been, you know, cancer without cancer since May. 
of this year of 2020. Yeah, it's fresh. Um, and I was diagnosed in August of 2019. I got lymphedema pretty quickly, which if you guys don't know what that is, it's basically like your lymphatic system is damaged when you get lymph nodes taken out. And so you're filling up with fluid, like your body doesn't know how to get rid of that fluid. So I have to wear a compression sleeve, like on my arm, I have to do a lymphatic machine twice a day for two or an hour each. So basically two hours a day. And if I don't do that, like I get like pain in my arm and I get a lot of like swelling and like the numbness of like taking out the lymph nodes. My arm is, it just feels weird if I don't. And then I just wear the the sleeve during the day so I don't get the pain, but it's just like a hassle to do. It's like a thing that I have to do the rest of my life. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes it gets like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Even going to the airport, I had to wear the sleeve and then I had to also wear these compression things on my legs because I wound up getting a disease called lipodema. It's like where you have fat filled fluid cells. Mm-hmm. And so I have to use the leg compression machine, like on my legs too, not just my arm. I, I can relate to this on some level, Jamie, because I also got lymphedema after I was bitten by a spider. And we are um, have done an entire episode dedicated to what lymphedema is and why women need to know about it because it is such a yeah. quality of life issue. I mean, at this point, you have been through the ringer. So at mm-hmm. any point yeah. where, where you're done, doctors checking in with you to see how you were doing emotionally? Were you offered any emotional support? What were they? No, I really wasn't. (laughs) That was an emphatic no. no. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I wish I had been, but no, I actually kind of snuck up on me. And then the other thing that they don't tell you is that you have to take an astrozole, which is a hormone blocker Mm. because my cancer was estrogen and progesterone positive Mm -hmm. per two negative. So I'm taking this hormone blocker since I guess March. And so now it's what December and I'm like a totally different person. Mm. Like my sex drive is completely gone. Like I have no interest in being with my husband. I cry at like the, like the drop of a hat. I'm waking up at night with just like drenching night sweats. Mm. Like who wants to like spoon your wife when they're like covered in sweat in the morning. So it's like a total like change of my life. And I think it just got to the point where it just got to be too much and actually became like suicidal, Mm. which is, you know, hard to talk about because it's so fresh. Have you ever had Uh, those feelings or struggles prior to your diagnosis or was this all after? All after. I actually had some when I was going through chemo. I tried taking the gun that we keep for protection and put it to my head and my girlfriend came over and she stopped me. She, she just knew that I wasn't doing well. And she came over at the time that I had Mm. tried. And then it happened again, just real recently in, uh, I think October, I, I felt the same way. I felt like a burden, I guess, to my family. Life is like not getting any better you know? Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it was the anastrozole because as soon as I got off of the anastrozole, like a month ago, I feel like so much better. It's like, I still have, you know, the cancer repercussions of everything, but I just, I feel a lot better, but Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just, you don't really think about it when you're going through the treatment. Like it just, it just affects you so much emotionally. You have to go through the grieving process. You can't just 
stay busy. Like you have to go through it or it's just going to pile. Everything's going to pile on you. Yeah. I've I've heard that before as women, just, you know, when you're going through through treatment, you have, you have your to do's. I have these doctor's appointments and here's the plan. And, and that's all going through your mind. And so you feel like you're taking action. And then once that all goes away, it's like, there's this gigantic void and, and, and the void is very scary. And I'm curious, was there anything besides going off the medication that you did? Did you see somebody? Did you talk to somebody? What, what yeah, other? I've been seeing, I've been seeing a therapist pretty regularly about every week or every three weeks, depending on how I'm doing just to talk about my emotions because you got to get it out. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, it's just going to stay with you and just pile like any little thing that the kids do mm-hmm. is going to pile on the depression if you don't get it out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've been doing that. I'm also on like a mood stabilizer to try to like help with it. Some people are on antidepressants. Um, I think genetically, I think I struggle with some mood issues. And so that's been helping a little bit, mm. but really just talking to my therapist about it, because I think it's just important to get it out. You can't leave it in. And it's eventually, if you don't feel it now, cause you're so focused on, you know, getting better that it will hit you like a semi truck, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. The grief. Like yeah. I was really surprised and I think it caught me off guard. And I think it caught like my husband off guard too. Mm-hmm. You know, I will tell you, Jamie, I remember um, when I started faith through fire, I talked to an oncology nurse and she said, well, we can almost put a timer to the time that a patient will be done with treatment and then kind of have the, the wheels fall off emotionally. It happens to basically everyone. And my first thought was, wait a minute, if you know this, if everybody knows this, then why aren't we bracing for it like a freaking stage four hurricane? Like, why are we if we know the fallout's coming, what are we doing to make sure that we try to prevent it or minimize its impact? And I I, I think this topic is so incredibly important because, you know, I understand that the medical community is about saving our lives. But what kind of life is there, you know, if you don't have a good quality of mm-hmm. life after the treatment is over? And if, if you're if you're even considering not having that life after, then then what what was it all for? Right. right. You know, you, you there has to be somebody has to take the reins to to at least address this or make people aware that this is going to ha- like this might happen to you and here's what you can do here, and, here's, and provide the tools. Right, here are the tools right. so that if this were to happen to you, you know what to do. You know that it's it happens to a lot of people. It's not strange, it's not mm-hmm. unusual. And here's how we're going to equip you to handle it and and have that support system in place. And I I really feel strongly about this that if providers and nurses know that this is going to happen and they're not addressing it with you or giving you tools to handle it, then that's only half the care, you know, right. Killing, killing cancer, like a package deal or something. (laughs) Like, and now you're going to be starting, you know, your emotional journey, right. Therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We, We say that all the time. We say that, you know, your emotional health is the biggest predictor of your future happiness. And so, you know, you need, and, and more and more women and, and cancer, patients in general are in survivorship. We have 17 million cancer survivors in the U.S. at any given time, and yet we are not equipping patients for survivorship. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge fly in the ointment that needs to be addressed. And I think the first step is to hear stories like yours, Jamie, and Sarah's and mine, and bring it into the light so that women know they're not alone and so that we can start building that coalition of support 
for, for those that are done with treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the hardest part for me with my story is that they don't know how long I have to live. They gave me five years to like make it past five years. Then I have a good chance of living longer, but they can't really give me a number just because of how aggressive my cancer was. So I don't know. And I'm not sure what they're going to do now that I can't take an Astrozole because it's just making me crazy. Like Mm. literally. Well, here's so here. And I know your faith is important to you and it's important to me, Jamie. And I we've had women that have, you know, very early stage breast cancer and, you know, they're told that they're not going to have to deal with cancer chronically. And that turns out not to be the case. And then there's women that had very aggressive cancers where they weren't given a very good prognosis. And then, you know, here it is 20 years later. And so I think you know, it's very important to tell women too that, yeah, your medical providers might provide you information like that, but nobody knows when their last day on this earth is. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what we hold on to, especially for you and I, our faith is what we, we depend on God to determine when our right. when our work is done here. But it, none, nonetheless, that is a very heavy thing to carry with you when you're parenting, when you're going through all these quality of life issues, and you you shouldn't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And and I yeah. think that that's, you know, really what we want women to know is that you're not alone, that we're here for you and that we understand and that you can do this and be stronger for it. But it does take an immense amount of intentional work. And that is the struggle is that it doesn't come easy, but it can be done for sure. Jamie, thank you so much for being so open and for sharing everything that you went through today. It's it's going to help other women and we're happy to put this message out there and I'm and I'm very thankful for your vulnerability today. So appreciative. Yep. Thank yeah, you so I'm happy much. To, happy to be here to talk about it cuz it's you know, it's a life-changing event that I think that you never really truly get over. Mm, yeah, you're right. You're very right. All right, my friend. Well, we will talk to you soon and thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, guys. Next time, uh, we are going to have guest uh, Casey Mills, who is a therapist, to talk about positive psychology and the value of counseling. Until then. 